Welcome to LeapCast. I'm your host, Dr. George James. LEAP stands for leaders, entertainers, athletes, and performers. And I'm on a journey to connect with high achievers and highlight their unexamined human moments. Tune in to learn how these high-achieving LEAP individuals were able to reach their greatest potential, face their most difficult challenges, and embrace the human moments that helped them along the way. If you want to get the episode highlights directly in your email, then head to theleapcasts.com right now to subscribe. Hi, everybody. Once again, this is Dr. George James, and this is LeapCast, where I speak to leaders, entertainers, athletes, and performers who are doing just amazing, wonderful things. And I have a special guest today. I have Allison Morris, who is anchor at NBC News Now. She is a new friend, a good friend, and we've been able to have some amazing times on air. And I get to actually have this conversation. So, Allison, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Um, awesome. Thank you for the super warm intro. I feel so lucky to be here because we have been so blessed having you on our show throughout the last year. Um, just so you know, our bookers are calling again because we just listen. We, we all need a, a little help and a little guidance and a little advice in these tough times. And you've been such a great resource for our viewers. So thank you for all you've done for us. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's interesting. Like I have a friend, I think he was traveling. He was in Miami. He's like, hey, man, hey, dude, like, I just saw you. Where are you? And it was because I was on NBC News now, which was just- You're so cool. everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, one of the ways we like to start off is to this thing called our leap story, which is just the ability mm-hmm. to kind of learn more about you. Sure. And I would love to understand, like, you know, where you are now, we'll get there. But like, what's been your journey? How did you start and how did you get to where you are? Oh, you'll laugh so hard. I took a huge leap. So I graduated college in 2001. I'll spare people the math. I'm 42. Uh, and so am um, I. Yes. Yes. All right. So there we have it out. Everyone here is in their 40s. We've That's admitted right. it, which is why we're doing this podcast in the morning, right? Because by 6 p.m. I'm exhausted. So I graduated college in 2001 and had just kind of been a type A kid my whole life, right? Like I went to Yale. I knew I wanted to go there when I was 12. I just was like the, you know, get the job done, get the work done, get the homework done, get the grades. I was just a very focused young person. And I don't know what happened, but I got to senior year of college and I was just like, I I can't do this anymore. Like I need a, I need a moment. I had never studied abroad. I had never kind of like swerved off that straight type A path. And I had gotten an offer from Lehman Brothers to go work in their investment bank. And I remember it to this day, uh, the offer was $55,000, which in 2001 was like a really nice starting offer out of college, right? And that wasn't with a bonus, like it was an attractive offer. And I said, no way, I turned it down. And and I didn't have anything else. I applied to journalism school, Columbia waitlisted me, I didn't get in. And I think the universe is maybe just trying to send me a message, like take a leap. And so I called my parents, my amazing parents who took out a second mortgage on their home so that I could go to, to Yale because they told me wherever you can get in, whatever you can achieve, we've got one kid. I'm an only child. They were, they said, we'll make it happen. And so they were so great to do that. And I called them and I said, I'm moving to Paris and I'm going to be an au pair. My dad was like, okay, no, he was like, wait a minute. Like you, you've always said you want to get into some kind of, I always love finance. My dad's a CPA. So I wanted to do some kind of like business and journalism. I always kind of knew I wanted to work in TV. Like babysitting wasn't part of the long-term plan. And they were like, 
all right. My dad was like, I was patient when you said you wanted to be like a philosophy major. Wasn't sure what you're going to do with that. I was patient when you said you wanted to do all these, but like what's happening, but they were so cool. I think they just realized I needed a break and an adventure. And I said, I'm going. And I think they thought I'd be back by Christmas. And I moved to France and became a babysitter and stayed in France for three years. And when I left, I was the Paris stock market reporter for CNBC. Wow. Like, Someone was looking out for me when I made yeah, that leap. All the way. So I, I love like so many things you're saying. So first, I'm going to give a shout out to your parents, right? For, you know, second mortgage. Big so time. many parents do so many incredible things for their kids, even when they don't know what the heck they're doing. They're just going to say, I'm going to support you. So it sounds like that's what your parents did for you. My whole life. They were awesome. 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 And like, look, we, I grew up, you know, I grew up on Long Island. We always had everything that that. I was, we didn't want for anything in my family. We were, my dad worked hard. He, he ran his own business and we lived a very comfortable life. But, you know, when I was, when I was going to college, they were not giving out a whole lot of money and tapping into yeah. their endowment at Yale. You were paying for it. Yeah. And I just remember looking at them multiple times and saying, you sure we got this? And my dad was like, we'll figure it out. Like, so props to my parents because they always said education was the most important thing. And that's, that was going to be their gift to me and a good education. So yeah, props to them. And that's great. And, and then this other part about being on the straight path, like I, I work with clients and young folks who are on the straight path and they're, they have the goal and they're going to achieve it. But there's something that's really interesting where you are like, Ah, uh, I need a little curve. It can't be straight anymore. And like, how did you make that decision that you were like, not <laughs> going to just take the next logical step? You know, I, I think about it all the time because I'm like, gosh, at 42, I wish I had a little more of the guts that I did as a 20 year old. Mm. I just knew I knew I don't I didn't even think about it. I just remember looking at my options and saying there's nothing that's attractive to me on this table. There's nothing that feels like me. I just got to do something. I mean, like I had never been to Europe before and I was moving to France. I did speak French. My mom's side of the family is French. We did have family in France, not in Paris. Like I had connections and safety nets and I went with the babysitting job through a friend at co in college who had worked for this family. Like I had some safety zones, but I just I think after like 20 years of just like going, I needed a break. And I think about it as a 40 year old now, because I'm like, wow, I think we're all feeling that way a little bit after the pandemic. Right. Like I need a life change a little bit, but as a 20 year old, I knew exactly what to do as a 42 year old. I don't, you know, because the stakes get, or it feels like the stakes get so much larger and yeah. so much more important. Yeah. And you know, there's so many 20 year olds out there. So many, maybe 25 year olds or even 15 year olds that like, I think that's really just encouraging to say like, you know, sometimes it's okay to trust yourself to kind of maybe take that leap, even though it's really scary. And now maybe some parents might not like that, but <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's really great to really just sometimes trust yourself, which just sounds like that's what you did. I went to a small all girls high school and they are very kind and asked me to come back and speak to the girls a lot because, you know, I graduated with a class of 87. So, and it's a bigger school now. There's about over a hundred girls per class, but like, it's so funny because like I'm the person who has the cool job because I work in TV. Right. So right. the girls like me to come visit on career day. And I always tell them this story with like a caveat of like, think for a second, though, before you leave, like, don't just wave to your parents and jump into a pool with no water. Like, right. think no. about it for a second, because it worked out for me. But like, I'm not necessarily telling you that if you run off to France and take a zigzag on your path, that you'll end up 
on your path, but like, don't be afraid of adventure because sometimes we all need that a little bit. And I can only imagine, and I agree, right? Because it worked out for you, but I can also imagine that you learned a lot about yourself when you took that, that leap. Oh, I did. I, I learned that I am really not good at moving away from home. Oh my gosh, Dr. James, for the first month, I think I had like a $300 phone bill because I was calling my mom every night because I, I thought I spoke French better than I did. I thought I could handle an adventure better than I did. So the first couple of months were rough, but it was really good for me as an only child who only went to college an hour and a half away from home. It was even homesick just doing that. I ended up going there, living there for three years, building a life. I have friends that I still are dear friends from my time in France. And it really taught me like, girl, you can hustle. You can do this yes. on your own. I mean, I was making garbage money. And you learn the things that are important, the things that, you know, you, I, I just figured out a way to hustle and, and get by. And, and I think it was, a, it was a better lesson than I would have learned if I went and worked for the bank. And we laughed about it because for the first few years, we just kept joking about like, you know, if you went and worked for the investment bank, you'd be making so much money and you'd be doing this. And I probably would have gotten trapped, right? And then when the financial crisis happened, yeah. as horrible as it was, and I mean, it was heartbreaking to see, I mean, people walking out of the building with their lives in boxes. But I remember for the first time I looked at my dad and said, see, I made the right choice. Right, see? And that was the one time that he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. maybe you did. I didn't I have the foresight to know that was coming, but it, it, it gave me one opportunity to say, see, it wasn't so crazy what I did. Right, I, and you know, and you know, I really appreciate that. And especially like when you talk about this time in France and Paris in particular, this ability, there's something about feeling confidence in yourself, right? Like it was scary. <laughs> it was overwhelming, probably it was homesick. But at some point, it sounded like you built some momentum and to say, like, you know what? I can figure some stuff out. I cannot know where I am or not know what I'm, my next step is, but I will figure it out. And so many people don't always have that. And like you said, right now in this time, this climate, some people don't know what the next step is or what they're going to do. But if they have the confidence in themselves, they can trust that they'll figure it out. And it sounds like that might have been that moment for you that you built that confidence in you and your next steps. I keep trying to tell myself, like, tap into that young person because because that's 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 the person who saw, you know, just take a chance. Do do the thing. You know, I try to think about it now, like when I'm in, in faced with a hard thing. I think about that. I'm like, listen, kid, you moved to France. Yes, you leveraged a couple of connections into I ended up being the youngest person CNBC had ever put on air so much so that when I came back to the US, they were like, we can't put you on TV here. You're 22 years old. No one will listen to you. But like, You're I learned baby. to do this. Yeah, what it, no one's going to listen to you. But I, you know, I had to make those finance calls to sources in French. I had to read like I, at 22 years old, I could read a financial report in French and not that that's saving the world, but it's a reminder to me that like you can do hard things. You took a challenge. The odds were totally against me that I was going to figure it out. And so sometimes I think when I'm in those places where I'm like, eh, can I do this? I'm like, mm, yeah, you can just tap into that. You can do it. No, I, and I could totally hear that. And I think once again, I would say that to lots of people, even the folks that I work with, that sometimes we forget our own strength and we got to remind ourselves and the things that we've done and been able to do. So you, you're talking about Paris and being there three years and building great friendships. You know, Paris is a really special place for my wife and I. Uh, we, oh, Tell me. 
Yeah, we actually got engaged in Paris. And no, where? Yes, uh, actually, George's uh, Pompidou, like, uh, there's a race, restaurant called George's. The George, <laughs> I know it well. Yes, we got engaged in that restaurant. And so Paris that is, is a, so romantic. That restaurant is gorgeous. The view, oh the my God, amazing. well done. Well Thank done. You. It was it was probably one of those big moves that I was able to make at a time where I didn't know if I could make it. There's a whole story. That's a whole nother conversation <laughs> that I will share about that moment. But Paris has been really uh, a great oh. moment and place for us. And not that long ago, actually, right before the shutdown, uh, I was able my wife and I were able to bring our children to Paris to George's and show them where we got engaged. So it's a really beautiful and amazing memory for us. And so I'm wondering, like, you know, yes, there's a professional stuff, but what what has that meant for you to have that time in France? How special was that for you? Oh, it's so crazy that you say this, too, because so I'm getting on a plane tomorrow for the first time in two years because of the pandemic. But we're going to see my husband's family. They're in California. We haven't seen his family in almost three years. So but the last plane I was on was we went to Paris for my 40th. And my my husband just laughs because anytime we go back to visit France and he's fallen in love with it now that I've taken him back and it's so special to me. But the Eiffel Tower starts twinkling. He's like, oh, here she goes. And I start to cry. And he's like, like clockwork, like the Eiffel Tower twinkles. You'll have a glass of champagne in your hand. You'll start. I start whistling like heaven, I'm in heaven and start to cry. And that's it. I'm done. Like, I'm just down for the count. Awesome. I mean, once again, like these moments and memories, and I think tied to these special parts of our lives, right? You know, for me, it was, like I said, tied to getting engaged and, and being with my wife, but then our journey together. And, you know, I hear like, you know, for you, like this, this leap and, and how you were able to convert that from being an old pair to like being on C- CNBC and doing great things. So, so how, what happened after that part of your life? Oh God, then I came home and had to figure out how to be an American again. It was so funny. I think about that so much. You know, I was there for three years and then I, I came back and like, I couldn't even, I would, I would, I remember the, one of the first things I did was I went to a concert with friends at, at Jones beach on long Island. And I just remember like the sodas and the, everything looked so huge. I couldn't eat salad dressing because it bothered my stomach because wow. the French, the French don't use preservatives the way we do. And so it was this big adjustment and, and I actually shouldn't even sugarcoat my return. I should say this because this is the truth. I was living the dream in Paris. I loved my job. I had to be, I was the morning reporter on the market. So I had to be at work at four in the morning. I jumped out of bed and like whistled to work every day. I was a young kid. I just loved it. And they ended up closing the Paris office. I got laid off. Oh. Um, and so I just remember walking out of work that day, like sobbing because I had lost like my dream job. And so I had to come back to the U.S. and rebuild. Now, the beautiful thing is in France, severance, severance is really good. When you live in a socialist economy, I, <laughs> take I, care was, of you. I was paid OK. So I hung out in France for a few more months before I came home. But I just remember coming home and just having to completely start over that, yeah. um, you know, even just funny things like in television, you build a resume reel. We're probably one of the only industries where like LinkedIn gets you nowhere, which yeah. my brother-in-law works there and laughs because he's like, you're the only person who just like <laughs> is a professional and like doesn't use LinkedIn. I'm like, I know in TV, it's like you send a tape, a yeah. video of your work. And I remember coming home from France, my dear friend, Ben, he was my director. He and his wife are still among my closest friends. Ben had made me like a, my reel to take with me to try to get a job back in the mm-hmm. States. And in Europe, they put like sexy music to your reel. <laughs> and you show that here in the United States. And they're like, 
what is this like pornographic television music? Like what is happening? No one, I mean, people just laughed, laughed me all over the place. And, and you know, it was really humbling. I came back, I moved in with my parents, which, okay, a lot of kids in their twenties do that. But like, I had gone on this big independent venture. I'm now living in my bedroom in high school that, that had not changed at all since I was in high school. So that was a big adjustment. I, I didn't, you know, I had saved some money, which was good. So I, I had some, some cash, but not enough to go too far. And I didn't, I was having trouble finding work and it was just like a really sort of humbling thing. And um, there was a local station on Long Island. It doesn't even exist anymore called TV 55. And actually CBS sort of bought them. So they've kind of merged into CBS too, but they were like an independent station. They didn't even do like live reports with everything was recorded. It was very like, we ran a prompter with paper. It was really like basic and as local as it gets but they were looking for someone freelance. And I, yeah. I just was like, I'll take anything. It's like, um, sign me up. <laughs> I, I ran that paper prompter some nights after I filed my report. Like there was no job I wasn't going to do because it will pay. Yup. Yeah. It will get me a, a new newsreel without porn music on it. Great. <laughs> and so, you know, but it was a rough, it was a rough six, eight months when I, six months when I first got back, I remember my dad being like, all you want to do is like go to the gym. And I was like, yeah, I need and do nothing else. I was I was depressed. I was upset. I was disappointed. I needed I was like, if I exercise, at least I've done something that day that feels productive. Like it was a it was a rough go. And, you know, and I think that once again, when we think about people that we look up to or high achievers, we maybe see where they are now. We maybe know a little bit about their journey, but sometimes we don't know the transition points. And those transitions can be rough, especially when you come from like what was a high at that time, being in Paris, doing the thing, doing the thing that you loved. And then now all of that being taken away from you and trying Ooh. to figure it back out is, is really hard. I'm wondering, what did you say to yourself in those moments, right? In those six months when you could go to the gym and maybe work at, you know, that, that local station, what do you think you were saying to yourself? Honestly, I was probably saying, oh shit, every day. <laughs> Sorry, I know this is a G-rated podcast. It's all good. Um, you know, it's funny. My mother has always said to me that she said when I was a little girl, and this is so funny to me because I'm not a morning person. I hate, like, I don't wake up awake and alive. Like I need a cup of coffee. My husband knows I need time to like approach the day. But my mother always said to me that when I was a little girl, I would jump up in my crib and go, good morning. I'm ready to get up now. And she's like, you woke up with a smile every day. Cut to high school. Like she had to pry me out of bed in tears because I was like, oh, I was up doing homework last night. I am not a morning person, but my mother has always said, and, and I think it's actually true that I am just the kind of person who always, always believes, like even when things are really bad, yeah. even when I don't know how it's going to get better, something somewhere is like, this isn't the end. I remember a friend sent me a card once that said, Things always work out in the end. If it hasn't worked out, if it's not better, it's not the end. Then, yeah. And I just kind of always, even if it's foolish, even if that's not true, I have always, always just sort of been like, okay, this is really bad. This is not what I want. This is not, but we're going to, it's going to be okay. Just keep moving through. And so I think I just kind of like was probably really grumpy to be around, was probably, you know, not a lot of fun, but. I don't know that there was ever a time where I was like, this isn't going to get better. I don't know how, but it's going to get better. Which I think is once again, right? So taking the leap to Paris was building that internal confidence, at least in my perspective. And like <laughs> coming back from Paris, it was 
holding on to the belief that it's going to get better. I mean, I think for me, like, I think the thoughts that we have, the dialogue we have in our heads is so important because it makes a difference and it can shape what we do or don't do. And it sounds like your belief in that it's going to work out. It's not the end yet. This sucks, but (laughs) it's not over. (laughs) Kept you going. Yeah. Let me tell you, it's funny because I am also not, I don't want to Pollyanna this. I am the one person in the room. Like when something is going wrong at work or something is bad, I am always the person who's like, this sucks. Like, let's just not pretend it's okay. This sucks. Like I'll say the thing, but I am just like, it's funny because I'm a, I'm a marathon runner, I'm a big runner. And it, to me, it's such a, a parallel for life because that's what running is, right? Like, there is anyone who tells you that a marathon is fun is a crazy person. It is like I just ran New York City. It is the best awesome. day of the year in New York City. It is my favorite thing. My husband always says, like, she loves New- the New York City Marathon more than Christmas. It's true. It's just like I think it's the most magical day that New York just comes alive. But there are literally moments on on First Avenue where I am negotiating with God. Yes. I'm like, I will go back to church and I will be nicer to my family and just please, please get me to the finish. It's awful. But I feel like it's kind of a life thing, right? Like I always know I'm going to get to the end. I always know it's going to feel incredible at the end. I know I'm going to achieve the thing. Like it's going to be all right. But there are times when like, it's really bad. And you just like, I remember my coach saying to me like, well, you've got two choices, right? The faster you move and that keep going forward, this will end sooner. Or you can just sit here and wallow and let it like take seven hours. And so I think I kind of like live and run the same way. Like it's really bad sometimes, but we'll get there. Uh, I love it. Especially when you, in my mind, what you did was you compared to those moments for some people, those drunk moments where they are praying like, God, if you can get me to the next day, I will feel better to a marathon, right? Like how like a marathon is that, that endurance that push, that that self-will and determination when you want to quit, but somehow being able to dig deep to say like, all right, I'm going to get there. This hurts. This sucks. This is, why did I say I want to do this? And then to the moment of, this is why I said I wanted to do this. And I think yeah. <laughs> that that's just really great that what that journey, you know, can be for people. You know, it's funny. A lot of people... I don't want to say a lot of people, but in TV, there's there's often this perception that like anchors can be divas and the on air talent can be, you know, we need a lot of pampering and a lot of handholding. And I I always take offense to that because, yeah, some people are like that. But a lot of the journalists I know and a lot of people in my business have really worked very hard to get where they are, especially the women. Anyone who tells you that TV, especially news, is glamorous is lying. Anyone who tells you that their journey was easy, got really lucky. This is a rough business, you know, mm-hmm. and and the criticism is hurtful, you know, like especially for women, a lot of it can be about how you look and yeah. your weight and all these kinds of things. And it can be competitive and tough. It is a tough industry to be in. And anytime anyone ever acts like I'm soft on something, I always, my my response is always, listen, I run marathons for fun. Like <laughs> that is my idea of a good time. I am not a lightweight. So like hit right. me with what you've got. If I am complaining, it's bad. Cause like, I like doing hard things. I get up on Saturday mornings and run 20 miles for a good time. So like it, you got to throw a lot at me. You got to Don't, don't say I'm being a whip. I could take tough stuff. 
which which once again right like to get to where you are and i think once again we don't always think about this it's it's hard to be super successful without doing some hard work i just that's just what i believe i mean yes you there are some people who are lucky or maybe they're born into it but i think like some of the things that we really admire people and what they do and how they've gotten there it has taken some really tough time yeah. hard work digging deep pushing past all the nonsense to get to where they are and it sounds like you know running 20 20 miles on a saturday morning it, it, that takes that too it, it's prepared me for for a tough business you know i wish we had more of those conversations though right because and i think i hope this is changing i think the pandemic has taken a lot of the gloss off of things you know even just when we went home and everyone was reporting from home for the first time you saw news anchors in their houses without professional makeup looking a little bit more like real people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helped like pull the curtain back in that Wizard of Oz way, because for so long, we thought we had to look like so polished and perfect. And 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 I think it sent the wrong message to people like that's not what we value. Right. I think our best and most talented anchors and journalists and news people, we, we like them not because of the suits they're wearing or the makeup they have on. We like them because they're they're doing really good work. And I'm so hopeful that as we emerge from this pandemic, that maybe as we've changed a little bit, that like those stories can be what we focus on, right? Like the stories you're having with people about the hustle it took to get somewhere or how many times you got fired before you got somewhere or that, you know, sometimes being on TV is really tough. Like, yeah. you know, I'll see it all the time. We'll have women on TV doing amazing things. I think of so many of the anchors we have here at NBC who, you know, whether it was Kristen Walker crushing it in the debate or Savannah Guthrie doing a really tough interview with President Trump at the time. And a lot of times the first thing people will comment on is like, yeah. well, she looked great. I loved her outfit. And oh, she did a really good job. And I'm hopeful that the conversations will continue to change because like, I bet what she wore that day was the last thing she was thinking about. It was all the prep work she did and all the people who made sure she knew the tough questions to ask and, and, and who did research and helped and all the teamwork that went into it. And then how quick she was on her feet. I mean, those are the things that I hope we continue or, or we focus more on going forward. Cause I, I think those are the really great things about our business. And that's what impresses me about the women I work with, you know, I, you know, I really appreciate that you shared that I'm a huge advocate of all these things that sometimes we don't think about that sometimes People are, once again, when we talk about privilege, people are privileged in a way that they don't have to think about these things. And when I, I hear you talking about the intersection of being a woman in journalism on air and some of the things that sometimes we don't even think about, that this person could be brilliant, could have done a great job, could have prepped, could have done all the hard work, but we'll minimize it down to what did she wear? And yeah. I, I hear your passion for your field and your work. And it sounds like you knew that from early age and you had some really good opportunities, maybe some, some good breaks and some hard work. Like, how did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Oh my God, I, so I was such a weird kid. And, and I should say this too. I, I come from this as a white middle-class woman who that right there gives me a position of privilege going into this, right? Like I'm well aware that sure it may be tougher for me as a, as a woman, but it's even tougher for the black or brown woman next to me who maybe didn't have all the resources and didn't go to a private high school like I did and maybe didn't go to Yale and didn't have all those things stacked up. Because I remember 
I said for years in my 20s, I walked into so many rooms to interview for so many jobs where I knew that the person interviewing me had looked at me and said, oh, she's young, she's blonde, she's this, and then looked at my resume. I was like, oh, but she went to Yale, she's smart. Mm. And how many times that I was only given the benefit of the doubt because of my resume, even though I was, I was maybe smart without that, but right. I had to have those things on a resume and I know how privileged I was to be able to walk into a room and have those things. And I know there are women who are just as smart, smarter than me, working harder than me, who don't have those privileges and are walking into the same rooms and being given even less benefit of the doubt. So I just I just want to recognize all the, the women who I know are, are hustling so much more and dealing with so many other things that that I, you know, I didn't have to deal with. And I'm glad that growing you, up, I'm glad that you, you know, you, you're highlighting that. And I know it like, you know, as a as a man of color, like I've experienced different things, but I also have been able to acknowledge my privilege as a man, right? Like there's some things that I just haven't had to think about or haven't had to deal with that so many women, women of color, women of different backgrounds have had to experience. And so appreciate your ability to name and own, you know, your privilege and how that has helped, but also how much you've also had to fight, right? How you have also had to do the hard work because there were some doors that were shut for you or you had to probably, <laughs> kind of stick your foot in to see if you could get in or even get a chance to, to, you know, plead your case. Yeah. Let me tell you, anytime I hear about someone's experience, male, female, black, white, heterosexual, homosexual, transgender, anytime someone tells me that something about their, their, who they are, what their background is that makes them different, that it was a challenge for them or something maybe that made it difficult for them to get through a door. I hear it. I get it. Because I, I think if you've experienced that in any small way, you should be aware of, hopefully, or sympathetic to the fact that maybe there's someone going through that fivefold. Or and anytime someone's like, man, this is rough. I'm like, mm, I hear it. Because I, I think there's a, a small handful of people who it's been genuinely easy for. And a lot of other people have really had to make the magic happen for themselves. Exactly. And every time I see it happening, like you just want to jump up and get excited for people, right? It goes back to the marathon thing for me. When I'm not running a marathon, I'm standing there cheering because the joy of my life is like seeing other people succeed at the hard things. Like, you know how hard they worked. You know how much they're dying out there. Call that person's name. Tell them you see their struggle, that you appreciate them. It might not last forever, but for that like five seconds, you might like just connect with a person and help. I know it's helped me a million times, right? Just feeling any sense of community, whether it's from the women at the high school that I went to or from the women that I work with or from, you know, even just a colleague that I work with here who will like pop in and say like, hey, how was your day today? And I thought you did a nice job on this or, you know, all of those things make such a difference. You know, once again, you know, I, I just think that it's important that we highlight the stories and the challenges to in any field to be successful. And then when we add all the different parts of who we are, all the different parts of our identity that can make it even more challenging. I'm really big on talking about, you know, race, class, gender, sexual orientation, yeah. ability, faith, that there's some parts of who we are and our identities that can add more challenges or difficulty. And so absolutely, you've been, you know, now in journalism for some time, you are every day, you are there on air for the most part, maybe if you're not going away, and I'm wondering, like, what's that experience from the outside? It can be so glamorous, like, oh, you're on TV every day. 
you're talking to all these amazing people and I know that there's good and sometimes difficult. And so what's that like or how, what's that been like for you to be on air every day, sharing stories, broadcasting, being the anchor? Like, what's that been for you? So it's funny because it is there are moments that are super cool. And like I have I, I have been so lucky in my life after I left that freelance job in Long Island, I got a gig in Pittsburgh. And working for the CBS station there, KDK, it's like props to KDK. It's like a, a legendary, it's the only K station east of the Mississippi. And it's just like a legendary TV station. And oh my gosh, within six weeks of being there, I got to go to the Super Bowl. I, you know, I've, I stuck a mic in President Obama's face before he was president. John McCain, like I just had amazing, amazing experiences in my 20s that were like, you know, you have stars in your eyes at those moments. I mean, I remember I, we all got so sick at the Super Bowl because it was in Detroit and it was so cold. And I, I have this weird, great fortune that I have been able to go to the Super Bowl and cover it twice nice. in Detroit and in New York. Like my one <laughs> of, of my taglines. Yeah. One of my taglines on my Twitter account used to be I only cover cold weather Super Bowls. And like. We all had the flu, people got pneumonia, but like you're still looking around and you're like, I'm working so hard and I'm so exhausted and I'm at the Super Bowl. Like yeah. the Rolling Stones are here. Oh my gosh. Like, like I just met Tom Brady at a party. Like nice. what is happening? So like you have these incredible moments, especially when you're young and everything is brand new, right? And there are, I don't ever want to act like there aren't these cool moments in TV, but the day-to-day -day isn't like that, right? Like I'm not hanging out with, these people all the time you're you're really it can be really stressful because you're worried that like you want to make sure all our information is correct the thing for me that's the biggest thing is like fact checking like it is my job to go on every day and to share the privilege that i have of having all this information with people who are busy in their daily lives doing their jobs and taking care of their families and they flip us on for an hour and they want to know what's going on in the world and i need to tell them and it needs to be accurate and it needs to be understandable and I want to make sure that we're doing the best job we can with that. And so a lot of the day to day can be like really nitty gritty, stressful, going over all the scripts, making sure the information's right, that we're accurate, that we're, you know, we're not putting opinion in places where opinion doesn't belong. And so a lot of the, the day to day can be that. And then there's like a lot of fun little things like my stage manager, Eve, is the most amazing stage manager I've ever had. She's really cool. And we started this tradition years ago where we eat gummy candies on set. And so like a lot of times in a commercial break, we're like, all right, someone pass the gummies. I need a little sugar. And like, you know, we, we try to have a couple of laughs and share about what's going on in our family lives to keep it real. But, you know, sometimes when like breaking news is happening and you're hustling and, and running around and technology isn't working, like it can be stressful. Yeah. I, you know, once again, I love that you're able to share like the highs, the lows and the in-betweens because that's with every job. But sometimes we can, you know, just we can see something and think it only in one way. And I'm wondering also, you know, just some, some folks that I've talked to, they've had to deal with this, you know, some who work a job, you might have a nine to five or maybe flex hours. What's it like knowing that you have to show up on air every day? Like that there's many few breaks that you might have. Now, I've, like you said, there's great times, awesome things that you can do, breaking news that you can cover in a way to, for people that might be really important and significant. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering how have you handled or what has it meant for you to know like, no, I gotta show up, like I need to be on air. It's, it's so funny because you don't think about it a lot. Like I could have an argument with my husband and, and like 
were upset and everyone's angry. And then I've got to like, especially during the pandemic when I was doing uh, working in our home studio, like we could be so angry at each other and like, I have to go downstairs and be on TV and be in a good mood. Um, right. And you, you learn to do that for the most part, I think for the, you know, that that's just something, but there are times when like, like there are just days when I'm like, I really have to call off sick today because I'm like on the brink of death and there is no way that I could pull myself together to be like, you know, I just, I just can't like, like this cold is key. I'm not gonna be able to think and I'm not gonna be able to do it. And it's just like, there are moments, there are also just moments where like, I think we are talking about this more now but we didn't a while ago in television, you're sort of expected, you, you need to cover the story, but you also, and, and you have to have the appropriate tone, especially on a heavy story, but you're not supposed to let the story like yeah. get you. And I was just thinking about this this week because next week is the ninth anniversary of Sandy Hook. Yeah. And I was an anchor in Connecticut when that happened. Oh. And it was the first time in my life that the news, affected our newsroom. You know, like 9-11 happened. I was so blessed not to know anyone personally, not to have lost anyone personally that day. It affected us all as Americans, as New Yorkers. But when Sandy Hook happened, we had reporters in our newsroom who lost children. And, and you know, one of our, I worked at Fox Connecticut in the Hartford Current. We all worked together in the same newsroom. And one of our reporters, his stepdaughter was one of the teachers who was killed. Another one of our reporters, his nephew was the little boy. Everyone will remember this picture of those little kids holding hands that was on the cover of the New York Times. That was his nephew in the center of that. Like it really yeah. hit home. And we were, I just remember being unable, we were unable to keep it together. My co-anchor's wife was a teacher. He had two daughters. And I remember what, I mean, he's been in the business for 30 years now. He put his hand on my hand and this is not an emotional guy put his hand on my hand and like closed his eyes and was like in tears and was like, this is so hard. And I, I just remember that was the first time in my career that I was like, I don't know that I can do this. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure. And I, and I, I, it got so bad. I remember over the holidays, my husband and I were going out to dinner on Saturday nights, just kind of being festive and doing stuff. And I cried at dinner almost every Saturday night. And I said to him, I was like, I I'm having a hard time believing in the holiday spirit and in a world that is good in a world where little children can go to school and not come home alive. Yeah. And I remember he said, if, if you don't, if you, if this goes on much longer, I think you need to talk to someone. And it, it was just the first time in my career that I was like, I, this is too much. Like yeah. this is, and we didn't talk about mm -hmm. mental health and, and kind of what journalists experienced nine, 10 years ago. We're starting to do it now. The world is starting to do it now. But I, that was the one time where I was like, ah, I don't yeah. got this. No, I, I really appreciate that because I, I, I'm hearing that as a clinician, as a therapist, I'm hearing more journalists on air personalities share that and say that more when they have to cover the story on all angles. Maybe they're on air, maybe they're doing the graphics, maybe they're doing the copy, maybe, maybe they're the, the stage manager, floor manager, like there are all different ways that you could be a part of the story and it impacts you. One of the things that we share, just to be a little technical, is vicarious trauma, right? Like that, that we could be traumatized, impacted by being connected close enough. Yeah. And like you say all these stories and you share all these stories, you're close to it. You're up front, you're fact-checked in some of these stories 
And so uh, I'm glad that more people are talking about it. I'm glad that you are talking about it and just share that. And because I, I think it's necessary because you're not a robot, <laughs> you're human. Yeah. And, and for a long time in the news, we used to have to be a robot. I remember when I was in Pittsburgh, the thing was like, if someone died and it was on the news, you had to go like knock on the door and try to get their mother to talk to you. I just said recently to my stage manager, Eve, I said, Eve, as long as I live, I will never do that again. And I just said, I remember you just had to do it. So you did it for the job. And I was like, I just like, I can't do that ever again. I can't ever go and, and knock on someone's door who's grieving to tell a story. And, And I understand we have to do that, right? We have, it's important that the world knows these stories. It's important that we have firsthand accounts of lives lost, of murders, of tragedies. It is important. I just think in my old age, I'm getting soft and I can't do it anymore. Well, look, I don't know if it's getting soft in my opinion, right? I really believe that we have to take care of ourselves and we have to sometimes give ourselves permission not to do or to do the things that will help us to take care of ourselves. And that some of these things are just not okay because it's gonna put us in a worse spot or in a worse mental space. And, you know, so I'm glad that you and others are talking more about that. And I think it needs to happen, especially, you know, in conversations I've had about all these things, about shootings, about racial injustice, about just pandemic and anxiety. Like there's so much there that people are dealing with and they still have to do their job in front of thousands or millions. And they need to be able to say like, you know what, I don't need to do this or I need to find a way to take care of myself. And, and, and just shout outs to like all of our reporters. I think of, of so many of our correspondents who have had really, yeah. really tough beats over the last year. I remember we got to a point where one of our, our NBC News correspondents, Steve Patterson, he's just the nicest guy. And he was in California reporting. And so we were sending him when COVID first broke, like in the Washington, Seattle. He was covering some of that. Oh, and yeah. then he, he was covering wildfires. And he was covering, and I just remember it was like, okay, Steve's at a nursing home. Okay, now Steve is covering homes burning down. Okay, now Steve is covering. I remember there was just one day where I thought we've got to get this man a vacation because I could not imagine covering that for a year. I mean, I just can't imagine that being your every every day that you have one story that you're focusing on and, and it's always like death and destruction and Oh my goodness. I was like, someone send this man to, to Disney world, right? Like give him something. A, a ha- like a, something light. Yeah. Uh, and, and so many of our reporters uh, have, have been dealing with that. I mean, we've got Shaq Brewster. He's unbelievable. He's based in Chicago. And so, right. It's cold all year round. So Shaq's freezing his butt off. And then we're sending him to cover the, the trial for the murder of George Floyd and, mm-hmm. and all of these cases that are heavy and there are weighty racial issues and, communities that are hurting and it's like the poor guy standing out there with a hood up and fur around it because it's freezing reporting on heavy issues like these are tough jobs to do every day and go home and 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 kind of like check with your family and have a smile and and be that like joyful person afterwards and you know i and once again like you said once again they're human and i I love it and i would second that shout out to those folks shout out to those reporters who are doing the jobs that we don't always see or glamorize or give credit to, but they're out there getting the stories or working hard and maybe even impacted in ways that they can't really talk about. Yeah, I always get become so joyful when I remember we sent a shack at one point to cover COVID, but in Miami and he was on the beach 
And I was so relieved because I was like, oh, you're somewhere warm. I know yeah. it's still COVID, but it, it just looks pleasant. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's th- those guys really work so hard. And I have, I have so much respect for their hustle and, and just, you know, I have so much respect for our, our Washington reporters, you know, covering politics is yeah. really tough these days. Everyone is angry at everyone all the time and pointing fingers. And it's, I just, I can't, I haven't been to DC in a long time, but I can't imagine that even at the holidays that the temperature there is, is so great. It just feels like there's a lot of tension and living in that every day. And it was really hard. So lo- um, all I- my respect to those guys. I love that you have such respect and just uh, kind thoughts to your colleagues and other, you know, journalists and reporters. I want to switch as we're getting near the end. There's a couple of things. One, I know that Jamaica is a special place for you. That's why I wore my Jamaica necklace today, as it's a special place for me, as my family's from Jamaica. And so I I wanted to just spend a little bit of time, like, why is Jamaica so special for you? (laughs) So this is crazy. I had never been to Jamaica until I was living in Connecticut. I, my husband and I were trying to get a little escape. I happened to be watching the Today Show and someone came on and from one of the travel magazines and said, there's this great little place in Jamaica called the Rock House Hotel and the Grill that a lot of people don't know about. It's a magical oasis and they're doing like a fall special. And I called my husband and I was like, we were engaged at the time, let's go. And we're at the Rock House and it's this magical place and we're starting to get stressed because we've been engaged for a year and we've made no plans to do anything. And our family's like, what are you doing? Where are you getting married? What's happening? And I remember, I remember exactly where we were. We were on this gorgeous cliff overlooking the water. And I said to my husband, nothing feels right. Like, why don't we just get married somewhere like this? And there it was. And so we, (laughs) the assistant general manager of the hotel was off that day. She has since become the general manager and is a great friend of ours. And we, reached out to her and we ended up getting married at the rock house um which is just for people who don't know it's an it's an incredible hotel in the grill and they have a foundation where they work on education in jamaica so went from supporting education there but to now they build their own schools they built a school called sav lamar it's an all-inclusive school for people who don't know in jamaica a lot of children who have learning disabilities or special challenges and special needs don't get an education. A lot of those kids stay at home because there are not resources for them at schools. I think there are two or three speech therapists on the whole island. And so the Rock House Foundation built an all-inclusive school where kids of all abilities can go. And so we love supporting this place because it's an oasis for us, um, but also the foundation because we feel like it's a, you know, it's, it's, they treat their employees at the hotel well, they treat the community that they're in well and are trying to make it even better. And so that's that's Jamaica has just like <laughs> my heart. I love it. And look, shout out, from? shout out to the Rock House. Uh, my wife and I actually was just in the grill in the summer. But now that I know that place, I'm going to have to check it out. So my, my family, my family, you would love it. Oh, I, I, I could tell already. My family is from Clarendon and St. John. So what I call is like the middle of the country. So when people yep. think about Beach Jamaica, that's not where my family's from. They're, they're from the sugarcane yes. Jamaica, not the beach. <laughs> Which is amazing. Oh, my God. And you mentioned the goats. My apologies to all the vegans and vegetarians here. <laughs> but, like, the first thing we do when we get to Jamaica is, like, drop our bags, throw in a bathing suit, and someone get me some curried goat, please. That's it. Like, that's right. Gotta have it. I just, 
the food. Oh God. It's just so, so amazing there. And we've, we've developed such great friends there who live all over. I mean, we've got friends who live in, in the mountains and by the goats and by the, and I just, I just love everything going on there. Oh, that's so awesome. And so I love it. You know, it's easy for me to shout out Jamaica. It means so much to me, parents, grandparents, I was born in the States, but family all over from Jamaica and also just a pride, you know, that I think about other folks that I know and people who fall in love and have great stories and memories with Jamaica, like yourself. So I got to couple- share with you real quick. Go ahead. I have art in my office that Ricky McMillan, he is one of the groundskeepers at the Rock House. He's an amazingly talented artist, made these for me. Anyone who knows in Jamaica, everyone says respect month. Yeah. And I said, can you make me a respect woman to go uh, with it to my office? So we got respect man and respect woman in my office. I, I love it. Yaman, yeah, respect. <laughs> yes. And it's so funny because, you know, like white people from America go to Jamaica and they're always like, yeah, man. And I'm like, uh, 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 like, mm. n- don't do that. But everybody is man in Jamaica. It's re- like, yeah. Everyone calls everybody man. Like, yeah. please, please, dad, don't say that to everyone you see because you're embarrassing me. But like, that's how you greet your friends, man or woman in Jamaica. Exactly. I, I, look, I love it. And and I love how you've embraced it. And it's a part of you and your husband, the special memories, just like Paris is for my wife and I. Oh, uh, we got so many connections. I love and then, it. Here's the last thing that I, I have to ask you about because I'm so jazzed about this. I realize there's an Ask Dr. James portion coming up, but we've never talked about all like, Philly. My husband's a Philly guy. Oh. And yeah, yeah. so like- the- I this told, is why I we're friends. Yeah. I'm like, Dr. James went to Jefferson and his best friend went to Jefferson. I'm like, we got so many like great Philly connections. I love it. Oh, I love it. So look, there's going to be lots of time that we're going to be talking about all these connections and, you know, hey, maybe we'll hang out. You know, I think like that's part of what I love about this and the conversations is deepening these connections and these friendships and, and how there could be so many other opportunities that come from this. So there's a couple questions I'd like to ask yeah. as we wrap up. So one. Is there anything that you're working on right now that you want to share or that you want to kind of let us know that you've been involved with? So uh, just getting through every day. Um, <laughs> well, you know, just a couple of things. I would love to give a shout out to what we've been doing here at News Now, because when I started here two and a half years ago, I was the lone anchor of a little streaming network we were trying to build. Wow. And Josh Johnson just launched his show this week and we have grown now. We've got a morning show, a midday show. My show, Hallie Jackson, Tom Yamas. Oh. So that's a little project we've been working on over here. And, it's and I might have been almost on all of them. No, I'm still working my way. You're, who, you're still who, my you favorite show. Who hasn't, had you, who hasn't had you on yet? We'll call them. But, you know, it's, it's, it's been really, our senior vice president, Janelle Rodriguez, has been working around the clock. I mean, building this in, in just over a year. So that's, that's what we've all been immersed in here. And it's just been like such a labor of love for everybody. You know, it's, it's not small. It's not a small undertaking launching a network. So. Wow. So you were there from the very beginning. I didn't realize that. I am the OG. I was, I, I was hired to kick off news. Now it was me for a long time. As a matter of fact, it was me until fall of 2020. Then Savannah Sellers and Joe Fryer launched the morning show. And then Aaron Gilchrist and Morgan Radford launched the midday show. So I had some friends. And then this fall, we've just blown up on primetime and evenings with Tom Yamas coming over and and Hallie Jackson, uh, you know, deciding that she she that MSNBC just isn't enough. She needs a little news now, too, which is great. We love it. So, yeah, so we've grown so, so much. So I feel like all of us around here are like, that's what we've been doing. Well, that's really great. Maybe two to three. If there's somebody that you could work with 
or maybe interview or spend some time with, especially in the work that you do, who would that be? Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. Everybody here knows I his, I have his book on my desk. So Dave, if you watch Dr. James's podcast, come on our show. Come on, um, Dave. <laughs> let's go, Dave. I First of all, I'm just like, a, I love music and the Foo Fighters are my favorite band, but awesome. he is just someone whom I just think is is so amazing from his story of resilience from, uh, you know, being in Nirvana and having his closest friend Kurt Cobain kill himself to getting past that to launch another band mm. to just being that guy in in rock and roll who is pushing boundaries, but friendly and kind to people and engaging with young people. And and I, I mean, he's done everything from like front a band to interviewing President Obama. He's just I just think he sets such a good example for our world of like, you can be a rock star, you can be a big deal and you can be a a really awesome person. Like he brings his kids to school in like a minivan still every day. Like I just if like if you know, I mean, you could have like your last meal with a celebrity or yeah. like your one interview, Dave would be my guy. Oh, I love it. Uh, hey, look, we might need to have Dave on your show and then we have a combined conversation that he does sound, you know, like a really awesome guy and all that he's been able to do. Two more. What does mental wellness mean to you? Oh, I think mental wellness means having the, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual space for all the things in your life that matter to you right? It could be a different bucket of things for every person, but being able to carve out some time for all of those things that matter. Like I know for me personally, if I, if I don't have some space for physical exercise or for a jogger, I'm not mentally well. If I don't get sleep at night, I'm not mentally well. So like mental wellness for me is a good night's sleep, some time to exercise and a solid day at work. Like having all of those things, having some work purpose, having some physical purpose, having some time with my family. Like, I know we can't have all those things every day, mm -hmm. but if you can look at a week or look at a month or look at a year and say that I found space in my life for the things that matter to me most, that to me is, is mental wellness, to be able to, to tend to all those aspects of who you are. Because sometimes I think we have a lot of room for one or the other. And when, when one is being neglected, I think you're struggling. Oh, uh, I mean, I love that. And the combination of, you know, physical and mental and purpose and, and the well-being that that creates. If you could give your younger self, which could be as, as early as yesterday or any time before that, advice around mental wellness, what would you say? I think I would say to my younger self, it's okay to, to swerve from that straight line. I know I did it in that Paris example, but I think and I think this can often be an only child thing. I think when you know what the right thing to do is and everybody's looking at you and there's no one else to look at and you know, well, I can do that. I should do that. I think you put a lot of pressure on yourself to always, I always need to do the right thing. I always want to be following the straight line, achieving goals, doing things. And I, I think I would have told my younger self, like, it's, it's okay to give it a break. Like you're not just valued for the things that you do. You have valued just for being a person. And I think a lot of times I, I still do this today. I think that I will define myself as a journalist and a runner and a, a Yale grad and a Our Lady of Mercy Academy grad and all of these things that are things I've done instead of being like, 
well, I, I should value myself for being like a, a decent person and a, a loving wife. And those, you know, I think sometimes as a young person, I valued too often the things that I did versus the person that you are. And, and I think we all do that a lot, yeah. but I think I would tell that person it's, it's okay to be valued, not just for your achievements. I love it. I love this conversation. There's so much more we could say and talk about. I love about. hanging with you. <laughs> I love hanging with you too. Everybody, this has been Allison Morris, anchor at NBC News Now. Amazing person, an amazing conversation. Thank you for joining me and being a part of Leapcast. And, you know, everybody needs to follow you and pay attention to the work that you're doing. And check you out. What three to five every day? NBC yeah, we're three to five. Now? NBC, NBC News Now. You can watch us online if you're struggling with all. Like I know the modern TV stuff is hard. My mom still has trouble figuring it out. But NBCNews.com/slash/now. You can find us on your computer if you're struggling otherwise. But we're on Peacock and Apple TV and you know Fire Roku, all those all those magic smart TV things. But yeah, three to five every day. We will often find uh, Dr. James. Wow. What an incredible ride we just went on with another great member of the Leapcast community. I appreciate you listening and hope you got some tangible value from the episode. Please let us know what you think by leaving a comment, rating, and review. As always, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Dr. George James, and I'll see you next time.